And when it comes to finances, there are just a number of different opportunities to just give it away and to spend it. For some people, it's spending frivolously. Um, for others, it might be you know sort of being materialistic or um, even you know sort of money being this idol. Um, and I'm. We love movies in our house. We really love watching movies. And when I thought about this topic, we were talking about, oh, we're talking about money. Um, <laughs> I think about some of those famous movie quotes. Um, so one in particular, and you'll know this because these are really popular. Um, but the one that comes to mind is um, Jerry Maguire <clears throat> with Tom Cruise. And, and um, one of the characters in there, he's, you know, it's a movie about sports and being a sports agent. And, um, one of the characters in there just says, show me the money. And I know you've heard this quote before, show me the money. It's a famous one, and people use it all the time. And I think that, you know, when we think about the, just the topic of money and we think about sort of famous movie quotes and sort of how the world might define money and sort of where the priority is on, on, on our priority list as it relates to money or where, you know, money, the role that money plays in our lives. But the world has a somewhat different definition of that. And there's another movie um, that I thought of with Michael Douglas. It's Wall Street. Wall Street was an, an old movie from the 80s. But his character says, greed, for a lack of, of a better word, is good. But that is contradictory to what God teaches us about money and our relationship to money. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture in 1 Timothy 6.10 that says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So when we think about money, we think about, okay, what role is that really supposed to play in our lives if the world is telling us that greed is good, but God is saying, no, the love of money and being greedy, is, it's not good. And there seems to be this pattern in life when it comes to our finances. So we work, we earn money, and we invest that money in the things that we need and want. I mean, let's just face it, money is a huge part of our lives. You can't live without it. Um, and we do use it, and God has established that we work so that we can earn money to buy the things that we, that we need and want. So in Ephesians 4.28, the Bible tells us, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. And likewise, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So God has established that we work. We, we have to work so that we can eat, so we can buy the things that we need and want. And so we look at money as this being this tool. It's this tool that we use. It's accepted and it's traded as this medium of exchange so that we can buy the things that we, that we need and want. But God is telling us that it's also important that as we see this pattern and in our intentionality and in, in working and earning money, that we are also intentional in how and what we invest our money in when we're buying the things that we need and even things that we want. But there's a, there's a deeper investment that God wants us to, to make. And he also doesn't want us to be deceived by money where it becomes an idol. Tim, I'm going to ask Tim to come up and join me. Tim's going to read our focus scripture today. It's in Matthew 6, 19 through 25. So let's welcome Tim as he comes up. Take it away, Tim. 
Don't clap for me. Clap for God. He's doing all the great stuff around here. All right, yeah, this is Matthew uh, 6, verses 19 through 25. This is Jesus teaching about money and possessions. Uh, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you, not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? And that's the end of it. Um, If you keep reading through that, it talks about Solomon and all of his great clothes that he had in his time. Um, He was not dressed as beautiful as the lilies of the field. And I think that just goes to show that no matter what we try to amount to here on earth, no matter how much money we have, no matter what we buy, um, we just can't stack up to God's creation and how beautiful all that is. So, Yeah, Tim, and, and I think that that's a, a really great point, and Jesus even, you know, in, in those words that Jesus gives us, um, also in Luke, he says that for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things that we possess. So our life is so much more. And I mean, I, we like nice things. I mean, we all like nice things, if we admit it. We, I like nice things. We, we like nice things. But even in that, God is saying, that's okay. You like nice things. But our life is so much more than those material possessions. And even when we, when we die, we can't take our material possessions with us. So even in the beginning of your reading, when you talked about those treasures where Jesus says to lay up our treasures in heaven, that's not a tangible treasure. That's the spiritual treasure that Jesus talked about that was so much more than our physical possessions that we can't take with us. Because surely I've never seen a funeral where someone's pulling a U-Haul with a hearse, (laughs) you know, (laughs) pulling all of their possessions. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) So let's pray, Tim. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you give us an example, a great example of what our life really should consist of and that it really doesn't consist of all of the material possessions. It doesn't consist of us loving money over loving you. It doesn't consist of us serving our money and serving our material possessions over you. But God, help us to see today what our true treasure is and what our life really consists of and where you are in that spectrum and and that you are first and foremost, God. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you are our treasure. And help us today, God, look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And thank you so much today that your word will have free course and that every heart today is prepared to receive all that you have for us in this word today, God. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I come up and join the conversation you got? This Please is do. awesome. Please do. Yeah. Well, good morning, guys. I'm uh, Mike or Pastor Mike. If we've never met before, it's an honor to serve you today and to serve with you today, to worship with you today. 
And continuing this conversation on abundance, the idea really becomes what does spiritual abundance look like? What is it that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 10 when he said that he had come to give an abundant life to people? I've come to give them life and life to the full, some scriptures uh, versions say, and others say abundance, um, abundant life. What does that mean and what is that talking about? Well, in particular, when it comes to finances, sort of the predictable idea is if you come to church and a church is talking about money, then the assumption with you coming in the door might be the church is going to try to talk me out of my money. The church is going to try to get me to give more money. And then the temptation with that is to say, well, what is the church going to do with my money as I give it? And then the kind of the natural recourse is to pull back and not only to not give money to the things of God, but to be suspicious of why the church would talk about money in the first place. The reason the Christian church talks about money is because of abundance. We talk about money because of what Jesus said when he said that he had come to give us life and to give us life to the full. Christ doesn't want us to be captive to anything other than the heart of God. Christ doesn't want us to be um, bound by anything other than serving Jesus and loving him in our average everyday workaday lives. And so that's why we are bold enough to take some time and talk about finance and what God's plan, what God's vision is for finance in the church. So I thank you for joining me and for joining the others here in the conversation today. My hope is, is that this is going to be encouraging, informative, that your faith will grow through this conversation that really affects our everyday life. I want to draw your attention back to the middle section of Scripture that Tim read for us a couple of minutes ago and just give you a, a, another perspective. And I want to step out of the way so you can see this. In the message version, which is Eugene Peterson's um, paraphrase of scripture. He puts it this way. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, then your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. But if you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. Now, why would Matthew place this scripture between scriptures that talk about laying up treasure in heaven and where your treasure is, your heart will be, and not serving two masters, God and or money. Why would God put this idea between them as if it were a money sandwich? Well, I think really this scripture's power comes out if we understand what the idea means to be uh, looking around with eyes of faith. Jesus talked about an abundant life, living in a, a life of abundance. What he was talking about was not only just simply walking around and living our lives and trying to get by, but what he was talking about was walking around and seeing life from a different perspective. It goes back to the idea that we talked about a little bit last week, that God is not simply one of our priorities along with our finances, along with our money, along with our work, and along with our family, and along with our hobbies, and things that we do that are in a positioned in a linear fashion. But God is designed to be at the center of our life. 
We talked about how in Colossians, Jesus is presented there as the one who made everything, and in Jesus, all things do what? Hold together. So spiritually, the concept is, if God is at the center of your life, then all the other aspects of your life will form rings and circles around God, and God's influence will be in all aspects of your life, particularly and especially where money comes in and where finances go. The idea is, if God is here, if God is in the center, then we will begin to see life from a different perspective. We will begin to look at life from an idea of an abundance from God's point of view, not from human point of view. Now, let's go ahead and contrast. The eye might see in our culture today, the eye might see in our culture today abundance as what? If you have abundance in our culture today, with or without God, what does that look like? It might be a good job that produces a good income. It might be a nice house in the burbs. It might be a nice pair of cars. Back in the 50s, it used to be one car. Now it's two. Or it could be three or another vehicle. It could be a great savings account or a good investment portfolio. It could be that you're able to take nice vacations, have lots of friends over to the house. That might be the world's rendering of abundance. And from the world's point of view, there are abundant people and there are people who don't have abundance, right? There are haves and have-nots. But Jesus' perspective on abundance is different. It's a spiritual abundance that with at that at the center and with God at the center, it puts in perspective, if you've got all those things and you've been blessed with material wealth, what you have is not abundance. What you have is opportunity to live in abundance. And if you have none of those things, and you live in an apartment, and you have one car, and there's nothing in your savings account, and your checking account is dry, and you're living paycheck to paycheck, you can have as much abundance in Jesus as the person who has all the things that I just listed. And then if you're in the quote-unquote middle class, like most of us, right, you fall somewhere in between. But it, in, in regards to abundance, Jesus is talking about everybody having abundance with whatever resources that you have available. He's talking about a life that is free, a life that isn't held in bondage to the things we possess or the things we try to possess. He's talking about a life in which we see things differently. And the way in which we see things is an abundant viewpoint or a scarcity viewpoint. Now, remember the scripture we just read. It talks about the idea of being wide-eyed and wondrous to life. What that simply means is that we understand where money and finances and resources take their place in life. And we're looking for opportunities to allow the physical things that we have, the financial things that we have, contribute to what God is doing, share in what God is doing. And if we look at that idea and shut that idea out in our spiritual lives, then Peterson would say in the reading, it's kind of like walking around in life squinty-eyed like this. Just squint your eyes really hard. The way you do it is you squint them and you just keep them open enough to where you can barely see shadows of what's around you. Just go ahead and squint. It's okay. Nobody's looking at you. They can't see you anyway. 
squint really hard. Like I can barely see you guys and just having seen you a second ago, I know where you are, but if I got up and walked toward you, I would probably walk into you and fall down like this, wouldn't I? It's the same way with life. If we approach life squinty-eyed, hanging on to the physical, whether it be money or not, we're going to fall into stuff. We're going to trip. We're going to hurt ourselves. We're going to find ourselves compromised. Whereas, if we approach life with eyes wide open, trusting in Jesus, that he knows what real abundance means, then we have an opportunity to really live life not live a life that is compromised by squinted and stunted navigation. Does this make sense so far? The abundance concept, it comes from Jesus. It rotates around the life of Jesus. I want to show you another scripture just to encourage you in this from Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1. says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, all the church... For the past 2,000 years, those who have come into the faith and followed Jesus for two millennia, since we are surrounded by their witness, by their life of abundance, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, walking around squinty-eyed, hanging on to what we've got, tripping and falling and getting hurt, maybe hurting others. He says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, wide-eyed. Have you ever tried to run a race with your eyes closed? No, doesn't work. Your eyes need to be open. When that adrenaline goes through your heart and into your body, you need to be wide-eyed and ready to make that next turn. Let us run with endurance this race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes where? On Jesus, who is at the center. We keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, the one who begins our faith and ends it, the one who starts our faith and concludes it, the one who does the introduction and the epilogue, the one who is the alpha and the omega. Jesus knows about your life. He knows about your finances or lack thereof. He knows about your heart in relation to your finances. And he wants you to live free. Now, what I'm not saying to you is this. If you will give your money away, you'll be free. That's not what I'm saying to you. What I'm saying to you is this. Follow Jesus, and he will show you how to distribute your money as a part of and as a function of the freedom you already have in him. There's a big difference between those two. Let's look into that just a little bit deeper. Jesus gave how much? You read it right off the screen. He gave 100%, right? What are you and I called to give in the church? Church, if you're a Christian, how would you normally answer this? 10%, right? Well, I got you. 10% is the average Christian answer. And where do we get that answer from? It is from Malachi. Okay, there's a scripture in Malachi. And what does that scripture in Malachi talk about? Thanks for calling that out, Stephanie. Does anybody know that scripture? It says, will a man rob God? Now, this is an example of an actual billboard in an actual church 
that's called the non-tithers board. I thought maybe I'd take a vote this morning to see if you guys would like to adopt this practice here at Trinity South Naperville. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. So this is an actual billboard at a church, and I just want to blatantly, obviously, make fun of this this morning. I'm going to call it out on the table and just say, if a church calls out people for not tithing, the church is wrong. It's wrong. It's dead. It's wrong. It's gross. It's unethical. It's ignorant, and it's immoral. It's wrong. Our Jesus doesn't operate like this. Our Jesus doesn't put us in a position where the pastor has to call for your tithe in order to have a proper retirement account. <laughs> Nor does our Jesus put you in a place where he says, if you do tithe, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to have all this cool abundance that God promises us, misrepresenting John chapter 10, verse 10. The abundant life is not about money. The abundant life includes money. And there is a difference, isn't there? So what we're not asking you to do today is go from wherever you are in your giving to church to tithing. Let's dispel that right off the bat. We're not asking you to do that. What we are asking you to do is this. Understand where tithing fits in the abundant life. Is that fair? And we're going to go there next. It's what I love about how Jesus works. So we have borrowed this concept from a gentleman named Nelson Searcy. And believe it or not, we weren't changing light bulbs in the church this morning. I brought the ladder from home, and you can see the splatter of like uh, drywall mud and stuff all over it. Our name is on it. This is our old ladder from the house. And we borrowed this concept from Nelson Searcy because we believe this is how Jesus teaches the concept of giving. Along with the other values that Trinity calls our family values, like sharing your faith, uh, leading in the faith, uh, being in a small group and connecting with others. The idea becomes this. The idea is that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, which goes like this, by the way, Jesus died on the cross for you and me, for our sins. And that's the sins that we used to do, the sins that we still do, and the sins that we haven't even done yet. And he also died for the sin that was born in us when we were conceived, the sin that was woven in us from the beginning. He died there to take our place because in the eyes of a perfect, holy God, there's only one thing that can satisfy the cost of sin, and that is someone's death. Jesus died that death so that you didn't have to. And what he does is he gives you the opportunity to trust in that sacrifice. And when you trust in that sacrifice, the thing that Jesus did for you before you trusted in him covers your sin and takes it away in the eyes of God. So Jesus is the kind of God who switches himself out for you. He takes our punishment so that when God the Father looks at you and me, who does he see? 
He sees us, our, his creation, but he also sees Jesus, the Jesus who is perfect. So God doesn't require us to be perfect. His son Jesus is the perfect one. Amen? For us, for you and me, that means we don't have to go from being imperfect to being perfect like that in order to be acceptable to God. When we're back over here imperfect, God loves us and sent his son Jesus to die for us completely in our imperfection, dead in our sins, the Bible says. And then from that time on, we're still not expected to be perfect. That's why John would say, come and confess your sins one to another, and they'll be removed. They'll be forgotten as far how? As the east is from the west, which is eternally different, right? So here's how that works in the world of money and all the other values that Trinity teaches us about. Jesus' behaviors, as it were. Even if you've never given anything to the church before, to the work of God before, does God still love you? Yeah. So then the question becomes, as you look at the ladder and you see that tithing is on the ladder, where is God's love on that ladder? Is it here? Well, it is still here. Okay. But is it just here and up? No. Is it here? Yeah. Is it on the floor? Yeah. So if you've never given a dime in a Christian church before to the work of God, does God love you? Yeah. Where is God's grace for you? Is it the same continuum from the floor up? Okay. Along those lines, here's the question. Where is God's power working in your life? Is it also the same continuum? Does God's power only start when you start tithing? Does God's power start down here on the first rung? Or does it start at the floor? Here's how God's power works. God takes you where you are and hammers it into your thick skull that you can't do anything ever to please him. It is Jesus who did that for you already. That's done. That's zipped up. And then God loves you so much that he doesn't leave you there. He takes you and he remakes your heart into a heart that looks like whose? His through his son, Jesus, right? And remember how much Jesus gave. He gave it all, didn't he? Now, the 10% has its place in this, and we'll talk about that in a second. But here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear and see. The idea is this. If you've never contributed to your church family before, does God still love you, have grace for you, and intend to work his power through you? Yes. That's if you've been in the church for 30 years and never placed a dime in the pot. God loves you. He's crazy about you. He gave everything for you. And if you've never given a dime, he would do it all over again and again and again. And then when he inspires you, having heard that message and really understood it, when he inspires you to take a step to give for the first time, 
whether it's putting a five in the plate when it comes around or giving online or you know, having the bank send a check in or, or contributing to a project, whatever that might be. Does God love you, have grace for you, and work his power through you when you have that step, take that step in your life? Yeah. Is that love, grace, or power any more than when you were down on the floor? No. What changed in that movement from the floor to the step? Who moved, God or you? You did. What about when you take the next step? When you decide moving from just an occasional gift every once in a while to uh, consistency or intentionality like we talked about, like V talked about earlier, what if you decide rather than putting a, a 10 in the plate every week that you decide to change to 1% of your income? Who moved in that? Did God move or you? You. And then when you move from $10 a week to 1%, are you stepping closer to what God would call the tithe? Because the tithe is 10% of income, isn't it? So if you move from a dollar amount or an occasional gift to intentionally deciding there's a percentage, does God celebrate you and work his power in you when you're only giving 1%? Yeah, just like when you were down here. God looks at that and says, that's awesome. You know why? Because you're awesome. You know why? Because I sent my son to die for you and I love you so much. And as your heart changes and you begin to let go of material things in light of the abundance that Jesus has for you, you begin to see life from a different perspective. Now, when you move from there to here to here and you're giving intentionally a portion where maybe that 1% becomes 2%. Does God love you, have grace for you, and work his power in you there any more than when you were on the floor? No, we've established that, right? But now we're giving on purpose. Now we're moving from ad hoc giving to a giving that's intentional. And as we work our way up that ladder by the power of the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is we're finding ourselves investing in something other than what we were paying that money for, but instead now in the kingdom of God. Think about that. We talked about working and earning a living and investing. Everything we work for and earn invests in something, gets invested in something, doesn't it? It's groceries, the light bill, rent, something on that order. When God starts changing our heart, he starts claiming more and more of our heart for the purposes of God's kingdom, which Jesus would call the abundant life. So that affects not only our finances, but our schedule and our priorities in a ring around God at the center. And then we began feeling the need to grow more investment in the kingdom of God. We move from intentionality toward the tithe. And that's not the biggest step to note. From moving from intentionality and uh, in, in picking a percentage up to 10%, that's not the biggest step in faith. I will tell you this. When Heather and I started tithing, it was a big step. But it wasn't as big a step as moving 
from here to here. This step from here to here, intentional to tithing, was paved by the trust that God was working in our hearts toward him along the way. So nobody had to come along and say, Mike, you guys need to be tithing. And if you're not tithing, you're wrong. In fact, if they had said that, what would I have said? See ya. That's not how our Jesus works. Jesus takes you where you are. And he doesn't leave you there. He grows you. He grows faith in you. So as you look at where you're contributing to, where you're contributing to the kingdom of God, whether it's here or somewhere else, wherever you are, is God calling you to take the next step? We believe that the tithe, this step up here, we believe that the tithe is manageable. We believe that people can earn a certain amount of money and live on 90% of that. In most cases in the United States of America, we can pull that off. But if it takes you 30 years to go from here to here, and then five more years to go from here to here, and then five more years to go from here to here, and you find yourself at age 75 here, will God celebrate that in you? Yes. Why? Because he loves you, because his grace is poured out for you, and because his power is working in you. So don't ever hear from the church. You need to tithe or else. Hear this message from the church. Jesus gave 100%. Let that message dwell in your heart. Be at the center. And with that message at the center, I would suggest that God will give you the strength, the power, and the courage to take another step. He doesn't leave us where we are. Here's a last thought for you. The way God works is if you've never been in a small group before, he puts you in a situation where you can share what he's doing in your life and in the lives of others so that you can get a taste of what small group life is like. Here at South Naperville, we call it debrief, and we do it every single weekend. Why do we do that? So that folks can take a step from the floor to step number one toward the dynamic of small group life. We make it a simpler transition. Tithing is the same way. God loves you as you are and doesn't leave you that way. He leads you to grow. Look at another one of our values, serving. One of our values that affects everything we do at church is serving. Does God expect you to jump from the back row of wherever you're attending to right up front the following Sunday? No. Does God give you the opportunity to do something that's kind of like being in the back row, but a little more active? Yes. Maybe that's setting up or tearing down communion. Maybe that's helping work with kids. Maybe that's, 
you know, setting up food outside so that people feel God's love in a tangible way. And then after that, maybe someone grows to the next step, becomes a small group leader, becomes another kind of leader in the church. You see how this works? The idea of abundance is tied to growth, not to perfection. And that means everything to us who follow Jesus. Amen? That's what it's all about. So wherever you are on this ladder, even if you're down here looking up at the ladder and thinking, there's no way I could be right there. You know what? You're right. You can't. But who can? Jesus. Because where is he on the ladder? He's jumping off the top of the ladder into extravagant giving all of his body and blood, soul, mind, and strength. And trusting in him, what does that inspire you and me to do? Take a step. So whenever we get to the offering on Sunday, and I'm not asking it to be today, whenever we get to the offering on Sunday, let God speak to your heart in light of what has been said today. We've got some commitment cards that we're going to hand out or make available, rather, on the back table there for folks who call Trinity their church home. And in three weeks, at the end of the month, actually on the 24th, which will now be two weeks, two weeks from now on the 24th, we'll give an opportunity for folks to hand those in if they want to. But what I want you to hear from me today is let God grow generosity in you the way we've presented it here. Let the only pressure be the pressure to follow the love that Jesus is putting in your heart to give. Let it not be external pressure that says you should. Let it be the kind of pressure that says I really want to. And God will give you that desire. And he will give you the means to act on it. If you believe that to be true, say amen. I certainly do. I've seen it in my own life. Heather and I didn't go into our marriage tithing. We do now by the grace of God. But when we went in, we went in a little bit of steps at a time, little steps at a time. And God over the years said, all right, I want you guys going from 2 to 3% this year. Nobody, no pastor pointed a finger at us and said, you got to do this. God just led us. Our hearts changed. Then the numbers just got bigger, 5%, 7%, and then 10. We celebrated that. We're like, man, we made it to 10, and then a little bit more every once in a while. That took a long time. Nowhere along the way did God ever condemn us for giving less than 10. If anything, he simply grew more faith in us as we progressed up that ladder by his power and by his strength, not ours. Would you uh, pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for being a God who loves, who leads with love. And in the leadership that you give us, in the way that you walk before us in the abundant life, you don't guilt us and lay stuff on us that we can't bear. You demonstrate to us time and time again that you love us as we are, and then you give us the means and the ability and the desire 
to grow. God, there have been times, I'll confess it in front of everybody here, there have been times that I didn't think you were going to come through. We get to the end of the month, and there's more month and less money. And yet you were there, and you showed up. And in that, you taught me how to trust you more. So I received this message from you today with all my heart. The idea that you love me exactly the way I am and you claim me as yours. The way I am and what I do. And you love me enough not to leave me there, but to actually lead me in a new life, an abundant life. I received that life in you because of your name and because of your power. And I know you are enough for me. As I accept and receive that truth that you're enough, you'll show me what to do with the rest of what you've given me. In your name we pray and together we say, amen.